Okay, so something came up in the news a few weeks ago, which got me into interested in this topic. So there is a group of Jews in Eretz Yisrael who are known as the Shuvu Banim group. I believe they're pretty much been widely um, acknowledged to be a cultish group, a cult. And the leader who has over the years been and very been accused of all sorts of atrocities, and he's been sat in jail, and he he tried to hide. You know, you've probably heard about him. So recently, it came to the headlines again in the story of two people, two unsolved homicides from thirty years ago in Israel, and some journalists, together with a relative of one of those um, victims sort of started digging into it again and they uncovered some some information and as a result of that there's been a couple i mean i have not following the story closely i don't know where it's up to right now but as a result of that there were a few weeks ago some arrests made turns out that and it seems like this shuvabonim rabbi berland is the leader um it seems like they were they were involved and basically what it Again, the gist of the story, I don't know the details, is that these two individuals, these two boys, one of them was a teenage boy and one of them was a married man, but both of them were engaging in activity which the Mishmera Satsnias um, found to be inappropriate. Maybe it was actually inappropriate, I don't know the details. And um, they took, not just took matters into their own hands, but they actually, it seems like they were quote unquote from people who took the lives of these people um, in order to make sure no uh, inappropriate activity is happening. Um, and also it turns out that apparently some of the clues were staring at the detectives in the face, but they didn't even look at them because it didn't occur to them that a from Jew would do such a thing. Um, Somebody now, to the prank. <laughs> now, the... the and again, I'm not following the case closely and I don't know the details, but certain, for sure one of the people who was involved at the time has since left that cult and is living a very different life. Um, so that certainly adds some moral, um, you know, it, it, it becomes question, what, what do you do? Because first of all, how do we deal with murder in general from Jews murdering, like who ever heard of such a thing? And, and, and how do you, and, and what if the person has true remorse? In fact, there was also another, sorry, another high profile case was, was, I forget his name, who murdered Kastner. Now Kastner was, uh, I think he's called Dr. Kastner, was, um, he saved many Jews from the Nazis, and he negotiated with the, with, with in, in Hungary when they from Hungary. Um, but there was a there was certainly a strong again. I'm not an expert in the case at all, but there certainly was perhaps still is a strong sentiment by many people that he was corroborating with the Nazis and that he could have saved more, whatever it was, or that he was feed, it was feeding into the Zionist agenda. What I, I, again? I don't know the details. The fact is that he was. Um, assassinated in Israel, in Tel Aviv, I believe, by a teenager who at the time thought he was doing the biggest mitzvah. Um, he wasn't a firm guy, but he was doing this in the name of his zealousness to Zionism or to Jew, whatever it was. And um, years later, 
um, there was a whole documentary made about him where they interviewed him and he describes exactly what he did and how he did it and why he did it and how he's obviously his life has changed and he doesn't he obviously recognizes the um, terrible thing that he did and at the end of the story they actually get him to meet with the wife and daughters of the person he, he murdered and he ends up having a whole conversation with them so what do you how, how do we react to these things where you have a murderer who years later you know so I was at the Kinos HaShluchem. I was talking to my friend Shmuel Super, who's a very big Tamtachem and a knowledgeable guy. And he had worked on a course for JLI a few years ago, which touched upon this. And he sent me some sources of Chuvas throughout the, the ages, starting from the Roshanim all the way down to the most recent one I have um, is from Abiyakov Emden, who, uh, yeah, well, exactly the years. Abiyakov Emden uh, was born in 1697. So yeah, so basically, for the most part, he was an 18th century um, basic dealing with murders, quote quote murders of Jews by Jews, yeah, um, and how different Puskin dealt with it. So the Gemara says that there's there's a number of halachas that 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 are, are relevant over here. Of course, we don't have a Sanhedrin that could. Um, and of course, nothing that I'm saying has anything to do with what's actually going to happen or should happen in Israel, in Israel today, which is being dealt with by the secular courts in Israel. And uh, yeah, but it's just uh, it got me interested in the topic. Um, so, of course, we no longer have a Sanhedrin that can carry out capital punishment. There are two, however, there are two other factors. One is Din Dalad Mises Leibatlu. Din Dalad Mises Leibatlu usually means that even though um, the human court no longer has the authority, the capacity to put people to death, but um, Hashem will orchestrate it such that people get their, uh, whatever the, the punishment that they deserve based on what, you know, so if, if he deserved to be, to be stoned, so he'll fall off a high place. So, you know, things like if he deserved to be strangled, he'll choke to death, you know, things like that. Um, and then more, to the more relevant is what's called the Tzorah Chasha. The Rambam writes about this, brings this, it's Gemara, the Rambam brings it, that even though there are numerous, um, numerous requirements that have to be met in order for a Bezdin to execute a person, there has to have been uh, kosher witnesses who warned him within a couple of seconds of him committing the crime and, and many, many more. Nevertheless, and so as it come, as it turns out, actual cases where capital punishment will be executed would be following those rules would be few and far between. Nevertheless, if the if, if things come to a, a, a time where it's parrots, where, where and we'll see soon exactly the different opinions of what that means, but there are certain circumstances when it's a time of need that the Bezdin can do whatever punishment they deem fit, including capital punishment without having met the, the, the usual criteria of, of, of witnesses, of, 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 of warning, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in fact, there's a very famous Gemara at the end of the first chapter of Marcus, I believe it's Tavzayin Amadalaf, where um, it's Rebat Hiva and Rebat Harfan who say that, um, I think it's them, yeah, the Bukhiva and say that if they were in the Sanhedrin, they would never have killed anyone. 
because there are certain questions where it's impossible to know the answer to. For example, um, the halacha is that if uh, somebody m- kills somebody and the victim was mortally ill, so then we cannot, act, even though of course that's murder and it's completely forbidden, but we cannot execute the murderer for having killed somebody who was in a, a mortally ill case. Uh, so and say, the witnesses will come and say, we witnessed Ruven killing Shimon. Well, did you do a full uh, CAT scan on Shimon's body before to know that he didn't have um, some heart condition that he wasn't, right? So as far-fetched as it might be, there is always the slightest possibility that um, that were to be the case. And then the Gemara talks about other things also, and what would they do um, for, for adultery? But the point is, they say, we would we would always find an excuse not to kill the not to kill the person. So Abishim Gamliel says to them, well, you are perpetuating murderers, because people, if, if you were in the Sanhedrin and you would have this approach, then everybody would know that they could quite literally, quite literally get away with murder. So the Gemara doesn't answer the question, but the Mepharshim suggests that what Rabbi Shemkina Metafim would answer would be, it, yes, if it would come to a situation where people were getting away with murder, then we would murder that, we would put them to death, um, not using the mechanism, the regular mechanism of a Besden, because we're, we're arguing that the regular mechanism of a Besden, you always have a way out, but using the mechanism of Tzayra Hasha, of, of, of what's needed right now. Now, another important historical um, historical uh, thing to put things in, in perspective is that um, he, the way he writes it here was in medieval Spain in 13th and 14th century, but it, again, I'm not expert on the history, but it's very clear in some of these chuvas that the Jewish, that the, the local authorities, the governmental local authorities used to give the autonomy to the Jewish courts to carry out whatever punishment and to judge whatever, adjudicate any cases that they saw fit. And at least in certain cases, the Jewish local courts had the authority to put people to death, if, if, if it was uh, to put a Jewish person to death, if they deemed fit. So now, the, because of that, this Shaila became relevant in a number of cases um, where the, the rabbis being asked the question actually had the capacity to legally put the person to death. And the question was, okay, well, how do we um, deal with this al-pihalacha? Now, Okay, so here we have a truva from the Rivash. Rivash is a um, very important place. Mother Bessiasen quotes him probably hundreds of times. Um, he was born in Barcelona in 1326, died in, um, he had to flee from, uh, from, um, from Spain and he ended up in Africa and he died in 1408 in Algeria. So, So here we, we, we don't know exactly what the question that was posed to him was. He starts off saying that um, 
it's clearly that he's addressing some case of a murder. Um, and so he starts off by quoting the Gemara that there were times um, that the Jew, that the sages would kill people even for doing something. See, here we've been talking about a murder, which is something which at least theoretically is a capital offense by Torah law. In the Gemara, we find that they even they killed people for things which didn't deserve capital punishment. In one case, they killed somebody for riding on a horse on Shabbos, which is not even awesome with the rice. It's only awesome with the abundance. It's a rabbinic because uh, they not to ride a horse on Shabbos because you might end up, who knows why you don't ride a horse on Shabbos? Breaking a twig. You might end up breaking a twig to, to tell the horse to hurry up. Yep. You know the story of the rugged shovel with the guy whipping the horse? There's a, in, in, the Rogachevo was the Rav in, uh, in Dvinsk, which today is in Latvia. Then it was, I think, part of Belarus. Anyway, so so one day, so there was a Nundik. Everyone has a Nundik in that community. There was a Nundik who used to ask the Rav a lot of, he used to drive him crazy. So one day the Rogachevo said to him, I want to ask you a Shaila. He says, when the, when the Baladola schmeißt the fed, when he hits the horse to go faster, and the horse starts galloping fast. Why is the horse galloping fast? Is he galloping fast because he understands that the whip means go fast? Or is he running fast because he wants to escape from the whip? So he says to the Rav he says, how should I know I'm not a balagala? So the Rav said to him, I'm not asking you as a balagala, I'm asking you as a horse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> so that's... Uh... My wife asked me if she should wear this dress or this dress. I say, am I the Bible or the horse? Oh, you don't. Okay. Not twice, anyway. It's being recorded. Okay. All right. Um, and then, uh, so here's a very important thing, because in, in Torah prescribed law, there's only certain punishments. You have basically um, financial uh, compensation, you have malchus, and you have putting to death. But we find that sort of in these extra legal circumstances, there were other things that the Amiraim did. So for example, the Gemara brings a case where it says Reish Hay, which I assume is Rav Huna, I didn't look up the Gemara, where he cut off the hand. There was a person who had, uh, he used to go around hitting people a lot. So Rav Huna amputated his hand, right? So, and again, this is going on this, it's all following this rule of Tzorah HaShah, that Tzorah HaShah allows us to quote unquote, take the law into our own hands, in which case we're not bound by the system, so to speak, of Dina Nefashis. We could take other types of punishments into effect, into account, into in the Kashmir also. Um, now, so here he gets into this whole um, discussion if, in the particular case that he's addressing, does this meet the criteria? Are, are the witnesses kosher? Now, in order for witnesses to be kosher, there's so many different things that have to be taken into account. Their religious standard, how, whether they're relatives, whether there's so many different things which could make a person not be a halakhically kosher witness, even though we have no reason to doubt the truth of what they're saying. So if we're not dealing with quote-unquote dina nefashis, we're dealing with the tzayra hasha, this special allowance that if there's a need, the best and can do things extra for ex, you know beyond the legal system so 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 how 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 um do we actually do, do we have to say that we need the testimony to be kosher testimony and then 
once we verified that we, or is it enough that, you know, in secular law in this country, we have something called beyond reasonable doubt? Well, could we apply that or something similar to that um, in halacha? Anyway, then he, he concludes over here, he says, um, oh, because it, it was one of the cases that I saw, I don't remember if it was this one, where it was un, there were two people involved and it was unclear who gave the, who did the final blow. So Alpidin and Nefashis, they would both be Potter because you can't prove that either one of them was the actual murderer. But in this case, he says, um, yeah, he says, in this case, because at the end of the day, this person died because of the two of them. Um, and it was done in public in front of so many people. So, you know, if he's, he's writing to whoever asked the question, you know, if you want, according to this Rambam, the Gemara, he brings lots of proofs, you, um, you, could, you could do so. It sounds like he's even telling them that they could kill them. Um, and if you want to, but, oh, so here he adds an important point, which later Paskim bring this up a lot. He says, you have to remember that this is not about exacting punishments from him because we don't have the authority to do that. The point over here is Lemigder Milsa. We are going to not let this get out of control. We're going to show a very strong um, precedent that if you do such things, you're not going to get away with it. So the question is, well, what do you need to do to, to make that statement? Do you actually have to murder the guy? What if you amputate his hands? Right, maybe that will be good enough. Now, later on, we'll see. Okay, we'll see there's one of the Puskin who's saying, you know, if I highlight it, then I'm going to find it quickly. If not, we we'll have to wait till we find it. But one of the Puskin say that on the one hand, here it is. This is in a tshuva. Okay, tshuva Eson Hazrochi, a tshuva from Rameir Zak. Which I don't know who that is because he's not the author of Israel. Israel is roughly prints a trailer from him. So that was an interesting case. We'll get there in a minute. We'll give an overview. But he says that on the one hand, as far as the perpetrator is concerned, perhaps it's worse for him to amputate his hands or, um, or amputate his tongue and his nose. Um, that could be much worse to have to live such a life than to have to. Um, to, than to be put to death. On the other hand, as far as we're concerned, it may be better, first of all, because doing that to a person is not as severe as murdering them. In other words, as killing them. And also in, ter in terms of the, of the message that it sends, this guy's gonna be living in town for the next 10 years, walking around like a cripple. Everybody will know, oh, I better not do that because that will, that, that will do that to me too. So the Ravash, that's much later. The, the, the Israeli is much later than... Um, so the Rambam taught, it's a good question. I, I don't know that they had the, I don't know that they had the capacity for incarceration. I don't think they had prisons. Certainly the, the, the Jewish courts, I don't know they had access to prisons where that could actually be done. But I don't know that incarceration, there's a, a number of things with incarceration. L'chaira, the, the point of incarceration, if you, if you, if you think of it as a, as a punishment, the point of it is that you are sort of barred from society. And perhaps an equivalent that they have, which is discussed in some of these trivers, is 
complete excommunication. You can't come into the shul, you can't count them in, you can't get an aliyah, nobody's allowed to talk to you, nobody's allowed to do business with you. You were completely ousted from the community. So in, those, in, in that society, that was in, in many ways equivalent to incarceration. There is another thing where the Rambam talks about, which also comes under the same uh, gen- genre as what we're talking about, where the Rambam talks about a certain case where there's somebody who, um, who we know for sure murdered Bamezid um, on purpose, but we're missing some of the technical um, things to be able to put him to death. I forget exactly what the case is. And the Rambam says that basically we, we, we bring about his death indirectly. So we basically incarcerate him when we don't feed him and we, we don't kill him, but we sort of make sure that he doesn't live. Um, and the equivalent to that, which the Paschim here talk about, is in certain cases we'll see, is handing him over to the authorities or at least not stopping the authorities mm-hmm. from doing what they would do Right? Because in these stories that I'm reading now, it's talking about cases where the Rabbonim were tasked with the mission of, 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 of carrying out justice. And there's other cases where the question is, well, the authorities, should we give him over to the authorities or um, should, we, um, should we try to redeem him? We'll, we'll see soon. Okay. And he says, if I was, if I was a Dayan in your case, I would be Mahmer. I would not... I would not uh, um, I would not uh, be lenient to them unless this was the wish of the relatives of the victim. If the relatives of the victim wanted to let him go and quote unquote not press charges, he says, I would let them get away with that. Um, And he says that. Says there was, I think it seems like one of the relatives actually, the father of the murderer encouraged him to do so, so the father in law should also be punished. And he quotes the Rambam about the Rambam says if somebody hires a hitman, um, that uh, that we could also punish him if the time calls for it. Okay. Now, okay, so the next group of chuvas that we're going to look at is three chuvas published in Shut Eisen Hazrachi. The author of Eisen Hazrachi is Rabbi Avram ben Rabbi Yisrael Yechiel HaKoyen Rappaport, born in Krakow in 1584. Um, What's his last name? Yes. Passed in 1651. Okay. Chubas were first printed in 1796. All right. So there's three Chubas here. One is the question that he was asked. One is the what to add to this to this case? Um, so let's look at this. So there was this guy who was going on a rampage, and he went to somebody else's house, another Jew in the community, in the middle of the night. Knocked on the door. He had some weapon, a log of wood, or something. Um, the kids are he. The guy somehow opened the door for him, and he he he, he killed him. And uh, the, the son and the daughter of the victim were there and they were trying to save their father. And the, fa- um, the son also got hit and he survived, but he was still, at the time of the writing of the question, he was still, um, he, he still had not recovered from his injuries. Um, the daughter fled. All right, so what do we do over here? 
Um, now, then he adds that uh, he says more details of the of the story. I'm just going to give you the outline, and more details of the story will be um, told to you by the person who's bringing you this letter. Um, and he says the same guy about a year ago he beat his wife, and she was injured, very severely injured. She was Nafla Mishkov. She was in bed. I guess we would call it hospitalized for a very long time. And people, it, it was certain that she was going to die. Um, and then what happened at the time, it seemed like she didn't die in the end. Um, and then what happened was that um, the, 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 the Shamash, the Shliach of the Bezdin, went to summon this guy for having done this to his wife. And the guy ran away and he said, He says, I've had in mind to do this for a long time and I'm going to do it now. I'm going to go to the Galach. And he started running to the church um, to convert to Christianity. And another thing was that the day after this whole story happened, he was heard saying, oh, what happened yesterday to so-and-so, that should really happen to the Shamash. So this was clearly a guy with a, a violent uh, streak to him. Yeah. A, a part of the truth that he deals with over here is that we don't have any kosher testimony. All we have, I mean, you know, it's beyond reasonable doubt. There's much circumstantial evidence, evidence, but in terms of actual testimony, all we have is the son and the daughter of the victim, um, who, first of all, are not kosher witnesses because they're relatives to each other and to the victim. And if I recall correctly, the son didn't actually see the final vote. You know, it's the, 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 there's, there's too many um, issues over here. Um, and the father had fatal disease. <laughs> so, so the question is, um, anyway, <laughs> get to this uh, fascinating um, discussion over here, which is, PC alert, this is not a trigger warning. Um, he, he, he wants to know if the fact that he, um, be, because what we're trying to establish over here is a Tzorich Hasha, and he's understanding that Tzorich Hasha means that the, either this individual or society in general has become, um, this is becoming a problem. So if a person has a violent history, like this guy did, then there's more of a reason to, to actually kill him, capital punishment, versus if this was a one a freak incident, then, then perhaps not. So he gets into this whole discussion, well, maybe the fact that he did this to his wife, um, even though, of course, it was terrible, but perhaps people don't, you know, that's not so bad, because people don't realize, you know, that, that it's so bad to hit your wife. <laughs> so anyway, uh, then he says, um, I gave a trigger warning, yeah? Okay. Um, then he said, you know, you can see this was a mentally disturbed. It's interesting because in all these chuvas, they don't have the, you know, the way he's describing it, this guy's clearly mentally disturbed, although in the lexicon of those days, they didn't have those words. Um, and he says, the guy was bragging. He says, yeah, send the hitman after me, hang, hang me, put me to death for doing these crimes, which has halakhic relevance because the Gemara, the, uh, in the laws of Hasra, in the laws of a kosher, when, when, the, when the witnesses warn the person that if you do this, you'll be put to death, the hasra has to be acknowledged by the perpetrator. So here, there was no hasra, but there was acknowledgement of his that he deserves, 
It's like when you sit on the exit row and you need to get a verbal yes. You can't just nod your head. So here you got the verbal yes. Um, okay. Um, then he brings... Okay, then he goes, he, he quotes the Ravash that we just learned. And he says again um, that... Uh, that... Um, if, if the reason we're doing this is for Torah HaShor, then we have to contemplate, could there be something else besides capital punishment that would be would suffice? And he brings a story from the Rebash that there was a person who had um, there was a there was a suspicion, and apparently a, a, a quite strong suspicion, that he had an affair with another, with a married woman. So even though um, had there been kosher witnesses in the time of the Sanhedrin, he would be put to death for this. Nevertheless, the Rivash says, don't put him to death and don't even try to um, sort of try, to indirectly bring him to death. Rather, um, basically what they did to him was they took him through a, for a parade throughout all the Jewish streets and everybody got to whip him and hit him um, with, with on his bare body. Um, and apparently that was a good enough punishment to make sure nobody else um, misbehaved. Anyway, then he says, well, in this case, if he's already in the non-Jewish courts and the question is, do we try and take him out or just leave him there and sort of indirectly bring about his death, then that's what you should do. He says, even though um, we could uh, probably bribe them to, to, to release him, we shouldn't do that. Interesting. This is something which also you see, you see this coming up in, 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 in my. Okay. Um, something, right. So, the, oh, the, sorry. This is the question. This is the, this is still the the truth of the the letter of the questioner today. So, mm-hmm. they didn't record it. They're asking him. No, they're asking him. Um, they're asking him, taking everything into account. Should we also take into account the fact that he has these three children? Okay. So, in his response. Um, he says, yeah, so in, the, in his response, the Aesim Hazrachi Rabbi gets is very machmer, and he says, um, he says they shouldn't, they basically, they should, they should kill him, they should let the Goyim kill him. And he adds an interesting line, which again, I think has modern relevance today, where you often have, actually, I remember there was years ago, 
I was a bachar at the time. This must be at least 15 years ago, if not more. Um, there was a Jewish person in Florida, I think it was Florida, maybe Texas, who had murdered somebody and he was on death row. And uh, he was in fact executed. But in the last day or two or three leading up to his execution, there was a big campaign going on um, asking all Jews around the world to sign a petition to, I guess, probably the governor of whatever state it was, um, to pardon him. And um, I think that, you know, he had over the years of him being on death row, he had perhaps done tshuva and turned his life around. Um, and, but, but the, you know, that became a big question, like, well, do, do we believe in capital punishment or not? And how, so, so, so in, this, in this particular case, he's saying if the Jews try to save him from the local authorities, um, that would also, in addition to all the other things, he says that would be a chil Hashem. Okay. Then we have here a third shuvah about the same story. Um, and, oh, so he quotes, here's a very, very, very important point to the whole discussion, because he quotes from an earlier shuvah, um, that Lemigdim Milson doesn't have to mean that there's a problem. There's lots of murders going on. So we've got to put this guy to death and that will sort of nip this issue in the butt. In the butt. He says, you have to, he says, he's quoting this other truth that says, no, even if there's no history, but we're concerned that this will be, if we let him get off, this will become precedent. So then you could also do this Migdam Milsa and, and kill him, kill the capital punishment for the Tzarek HaShon. But this Trevor over here, again, this is a, a Trevor over the mayor, Zach, and he, he's um, printed in Esau HaEzrahi, and he says, absolutely not. And, you know, he brings a number of, of proofs from different Gemaras, but, but, but his main point is, that, so then when would it ever not be a Migdam Milsa? Anytime somebody kills, if you let him get away with it, it's not right. The fact that we're saying no, there's only certain cases where it's a shas attack. He says there has to have been a, a precedent. So, so now the question is, well, we don't really have a precedent other than the fact. In other words, there's nobody else who's doing this. It's just him, and there's this guy who he murdered, and then there's his wife who he almost murdered some time ago. And I say he says he, he's he's a little bit concerned um, about actually killing him. And therefore, he has a suggestion, which we mentioned before, that, you know, amputate all you know, his hands and his nose and his, you know, give him, uh, like we discussed before. Um, but he says, if it involves spending money to try and redeem him, um, then from the, from the non-Jews, um, uh, then we shouldn't do it. And this is an interesting line, a few paragraphs, so if you read these two lines. To spend money to redeem him from the Goyim, um, because he says, which I don't know if it means legally or bribing, or maybe bribing was legal, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that he says to redeem him from the Goyim, because he says he wants to do tshuva, that would be a tremendous chilul Hashem. Um, and because they'll go around saying that uh, Jews basically condone murder. Um, and then when a goy will kill a Jew, um, they also won't, oh, he killed a Jew, so the Jews don't care so much about murder, so they won't put him to death either. I always, I always um, voice my opinion sharply. 
and, uh, about concerning those leaders, Jewish leaders, and any time the non-Jewish authorities um, catch a guy, uh, whether it's a robber or a thief, whatever, anything like that, then suddenly all the big Askonim get involved um, and try to bribe and to get ways to get him out. Uh, he's not talking about legal system, he's talking about bribery. He says, This is this is this is this is basically supporting theft. Um, because everybody knows that if they get in trouble, the Jewish community will come to my aid. Um, and we see, um, basically, yeah, we shouldn't do anything to redeem, to bribe um, the, the Jewish criminals out of the hands of the local authorities. And especially in this case, oh, no, sorry. He says, I'm concerned that often you have the, the priests who tell him that if they convert to Christianity, then they'll be uh, uh, pardoned. He says, here that we have to go the opposite. We have to give bribes to make sure that they don't do that, to make sure they don't give the person the opportunity to to convert to Christianity and, and, and be saved, um, be saved from punishment. So th this becomes a major machloikas, but for the most part, the halacha seems to be um, that, that in accordance with the opinion that uh, has to be that there's an existing problem, not that we anticipate that it might be, it may become a problem. And because of that, uh, you know, we may be able to do other measures, but not to kill somebody um, because of that. Okay, then we move on. We have here, He had an interesting case. This is in the Chavis where he, um, born in 1638, and died in 1702. All right, yeah, also very prominent place. A long shiver where basically there were, there were two Bachrim who got into a fight and one of them killed the other and he escaped. And then he was caught by the authorities for something else, for some theft that he committed. And the question was, should we, you know, how do we deal with this? So he's uh, is a very long shiva, but he says, he, he's ambivalent, he's not sure what to do. And he, he, in other words, if he had just done this theft and they were going to kill him for it, then we would have to try and save him because according to terror law, even the theft is terrible. Thief, the theft is a bad thing, and we shouldn't allow the man to kill him for it. But here, <laughs> we're happy for him to be killed because of the murder that he committed, what, you know, years back. So has he done sugar? Has he changed his life? So he gets, so again, interesting conversation. And again, it's this whole question of how much, how big of a role does shuva play? And one of the shuvas over here, this is from Dermari Bruna, who's the... Um, Born in 1400, um, for, died in 1480 in Germany. 
Okay, so Marie Brunner has this whole case where there was one person wasn't a fight, you know, one they were they were hitting each other, and then the perpetrator called somebody else to help him, and together they killed him. But the what the guy who he called to help him was drunk at the time, which even though he wasn't, he's still responsible for his actions when he was drunk. Um, but also he um, he wanted to do tshuva. He had remorse, whereas the original guy he was not remorseful at all. And so he, I think, in the end, he suggests that uh, the guy, the guy who was not remorseful, should just be. They didn't have um, the authority to do anything else, but basically to compute completely excommunicate him. Which again is probably the best parallel we have to uh, incarceration. And um, the uh, but the guy who was remorseful, he, he was more lenient. He said he should go to Golos and. He should three years. Uh, no, he says less. Uh, it's not clear exactly, but he, he basically gave him, you know, he should undergo certain discomforts and stuff to, 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 to atone for himself. Anyway, we'll finish off with the truva from Rabbi Yaakov Emden, which we mentioned earlier. He says like this: You know, Mitzvah Bilti Tari, Rabbi Yaakov. He says something uh, uh, inappropriate happened. Basically, two guys were fighting. One of them stabbed the other in the heart, and he killed him. And he was taken in by the Goyim, by the non-Jewish authorities. And in the end, basically, he had some deal, a plea deal, not a plea deal, a deal with the, the, the authorities that if he would take the shvur, if he would make an oath that he didn't do the murder, but there was somebody else, so then they would let him off. And the whoever passed in the Shiloh over there, based on the in another case, where in that case, um, if I recall correctly, I don't remember exactly what the case was, but basically they, there the Ramah says that if he's being accused of something and um, and his only way to get out of it was by making a false oath, then he would be allowed to make a false oath to save his life. So the Rav applied that to this and told, and, and he allowed him to do it. But Rabbi Yaakov Emden is very upset about this. And he says, what's the connection? Over there, in the case of the Ramah, he's actually not, he, Alpitera does not deserve to be put to death. And so, again, I have to look it up again. I don't remember what the case was. But, um, but, but in this case, he does deserve to be put to death, and he was the murderer. So you can't let him make this false oath um, to, 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 to get out of this. Um, and then he says... A very interesting thing because again we've seen the time and again over here that one of the issues that the Koskim are busy with is to what extent do we take into, into account the chuva, the change that this person may have made in his life. And he says an interesting thing. He says that even though when it comes to other things, even other things of capital punishment I'll be told, um, let's say if somebody I don't know had a, had had an illicit relationship which for which he's punishable by death to terror that okay so of course at the times of the sanhedrin where they were dealing with actual dina nefasha so then chuva wouldn't play a role that's clear in the gemara that chuva doesn't play a role there but the but but in this type of thing perhaps chuva could take a role however he says that's one of the other things when it comes to murder we can't take into account chuva um and he brings the pasuk that the only way to clean the word from the world from murder is by killing the the, the perpetrators now again it's not the, the literal again I, we could argue, you, you could say that the Pasuk is only talking about Dina Nefosh, it's not about the Tzerich Hasha, 
But 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 the Biakvendin understands that when it comes to murder, we should not take tshuva into account at all. Um, and, and therefore, he says, in my opinion, in this case, even if it would have been a, a, a permissible way to save his life, we should not have allowed him to do it, and we should have hoped that the non-Jewish authorities would have um, given him capital punishment, uh, and certainly not to allow him to violate the, 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 the false oath um, to do so. And then, he's, he's, then he's, he finishes off, he tells him what was the story. So he says, basically, um, this guy, the murderer, was visiting um, the town, and he was, the audacity, he was smoking a pipe at the entrance of the shul. And while they were davening and learning, he was standing right there at the entrance smoking a pipe. And now, and he was facing into the shul and blowing the smoke in. And this person, the victim, he was very upset about this. And he said, this is embarrassing to the house of Hashem. And uh, he told him to stop and nobody was listening. So he got up and he slapped the pipe down to the floor. And the smoker, um, and he says, you know, this is not a pub, this is a shul. Anyway, the smoker, was very um, offended and he killed him. Um, and he says, I know this person who was killed, his name was Ephraim. I know that he used to come to my shul and he used to daven by Richers and he would stay after everybody had left, he would still be staying behind saying to him and extra davening. And um, uh, later on, he says, yeah, that, that there was some sort of community rule was made that everybody had to daven in their own shul. And he said, he, this Ephraim came to complain to me. He says, I don't want to dive in that shul over there. They don't have the right atmosphere. And everybody's talking and I want to come to a shul where there's a more serious atmosphere where I can concentrate properly on my davening. But in the end, he was forced to, um, to, to, to fill the, to, to keep the rule of the community to dive in that shul. And here you go, you know, the shul was indeed a, a place and he, and he, and, 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 and that ended up bringing to his to about his murder, and therefore we should uh, we should never allow such a the, the murder to get away with it. And uh, yeah, so interesting uh, cases we see over history, murder cases that came to come, came to the Paskim, and how they dealt with it. And um, it'd be interesting to see what uh, would happen nowadays. And come uh, on Mm-hmm.